you would please, turn in your pew Bible to page 1,756. Do you know why I don't, I don't have the pew Bible numbers in there? <laughs> no, I have my Bible, Steve. <laughs> this is a joke, because I want to see who's going to grab their Bible and open it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <clears throat> if we would, just be praying for um, Amy and Ben and all they've been dealing with COVID. So for the last two weeks, I have been working on putting the bulletin together. <laughs> That's why you don't have pew Bible numbers. So it is my fault. But if you would, turn in your pew Bible to page 1,756. We're going to be reading out of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Miss Marion, thank you so much for today. I, lo I love Amazing Grace. It may be one of the, the one that is, is sung some of the most times, but it never gets old, does it? It never gets old. We're going to be taking a break from our Bible story series over the next couple weeks. And we're going to get into what is called exegetical preaching. Yes, I had to practice saying that word. <laughs> exegetical preaching. It's something that I was taught over and over and over again going through all of my schooling. But here's what it means. It's when you walk through a passage of Scripture verse by verse, phrase by phrase, at times word by word, to really understand and get the grasp of what God is saying. Where this exegesis is a, at points, a tearing apart of what we read. Now oftentimes we can get into reading the Bible and it gets difficult, doesn't it? And it's like, what is that even saying? 
So with Romans, in in Scripture, um, it, it talks about foods, different types of foods. There's milk, foods for babies, and there's meat, and there's food for the mature. Just so you know, we're getting into some food for the mature. We're getting into some meat. That's kind of why we're going to kind of walk through this a little bit at a time, because there's a lot to chew on here. So, it's interesting that I was, honestly, I was asked if I would preach on Romans chapter 8. I think it fits very well with what God has been doing in our church over the last couple years, and especially in the last couple months. And the reason, I'm, what I'm talking about with that is that Romans chapter 8, out of, out of the entire book of Romans, Romans chapter 8 talks about and mentions the Holy Spirit, guess how many times? 19. 19 times. That tells you that He's important. He's essential. At the same time, often in, in church... We talk a lot about God and we know who God is. We talk a lot about Jesus and who Jesus is. But then there's this Holy Spirit. Not sure what He is or what He does. or, or So we just kind of sit Him off to the side. He's the third person of the Trinity. And, but Paul really gets into who the Holy Spirit is. Not just who He is, but what His functions are. And that's part of what we're going to be diving into. So, I'm going to ask you, as your homework, read Romans chapter 8, okay? But also, read Romans 7 and 9. Grab the context of what Paul's talking about here. Don't just look at it as, as a single chapter, but look at it from 7, 8, 9. Now, if you're really bold, start at 1. Go all the way through. But, <clears throat> you're going to run into things that you don't understand, I do. It's okay. So here's what I'm going to ask as you're reading this. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what He's saying. And you're going to get into some stuff that you're like, I don't have any idea what this means. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep reading. And watch God answer your questions. But before we get into all that, we're going to do an overview of Romans. Ready? This is a little bit of a history lesson. I'm not that great of a history teacher, so bear with me. It was written by the Apostle Paul around 57, 58 A.D. At this time, Rome in itself, the city, had about a million people. It was the hub of the Roman Empire, center for government, center for politics, center for military. It was known as a wealthy city, but it had all classes of people. It had the slaves, it had free individuals, official Roman citizens, nobles who were the wealthy that came from politics and military. It was a hotbed of corruption and immorality.
it was steeped deeply in religion. Heavily influenced by Greek mythology and the imperial cult. Now the imperial cult is when you worshipped the emperor as he was deity. Heavily steeped in both of those. Most inhabitants were polytheistic. Polytheistic means that they worshipped more than one god. So it fit well with Rome because of the imperial cult. The emperor wants to be worshipped. And as long as you're worshipping the emperor, you can worship other gods, that's fine. But as long as you're worshipping the emperor. They also worship many demigods. Demigods. Gods, demigods. What that means is, if you know some about Greek mythology, they had so-and-so and so-and-so had a son and daughter, and it was X. Thor was the son of a god, so he was a demigod. Okay? But the whole concept of religion within Rome was that if I needed something, then I would search through all of these religions and find the god of X. And that's who I would worship. And then there would be different sacrifices to give or to do for that God so that I would get what I needed. And if there wasn't one and a God that could fit my need, then I would make one. And then I would determine what sacrifices would need to be made for that God to give me what I wanted. <laughs> In today's terms, you're walking into a vast room of vending machines. I'm going to go to this spending machine because I need this, and I'm going to put these quarters in and pull this lever, and I'm going to get the miracle I need because I went to that God's vending machine. Do you see what I'm saying? And they, that's how they lived. That's how they made things. That, that was their religion. If you could imagine with all of these different gods, the amount of temples and shrines that they had for each one of these gods. They were everywhere. They were like vendors on a street corner in D.C. You could go anywhere and worship, quote-unquote, serve, sacrifice, whatever you needed, that's where you went. Do you see how Rome got to be corrupt and immoral? Most of the religions, though, in Rome were tolerated due to polytheism. They could worship whoever they wanted. Except one. Except one. It was Christianity. That created an intolerance. And because of the intolerance, persecution soon followed. Christianity was tied to Christ. Obviously, Christ was a Jew. In AD 49, Claudius, the emperor, decided that he was going to ban all Jews from Rome. So that's what he did. He made the law, they all had to leave. And they did. That lasted for five years until Claudius passed away. Once he died, then Jews came back to Rome. At that point in time, Nero's had begun to reign, and he was the one that absolutely hated Christians. 
And so mild persecution started at the beginning of Nero's rule. That's when the letter to the Romans was written. So you have a picture? This is what Rome is like. This is what's going on in Rome. Here's all of the deities and religions and the types of worship that were happening in Rome. Persecution was heavy and was getting more deep as the years went on. Here's where Paul is writing to the Roman church. Okay, Roman church. Don't picture a four-walled building. The Roman church is not a four-walled building. It's like all these letters that Paul wrote to these different churches, the church of Philippi, the church of Ephesus, the church of Corinth. They weren't churches like we know them today. They weren't. They were pockets and groups of people who had the same core basic belief, but were in houses, or they met in different places. They met in gardens. They, met, they didn't come to a church. Kind of different to think, isn't it? But they didn't come to a church. And when Paul would write a letter to those churches, then that letter, once it hit the first group, then it spread like fire. Paul sent us a letter. Paul sent us a letter. And it went from this group to this group to this group to this group. Well, when are we going to get the letter? Well, we're not done reading it yet. And it would go, and people would make copies of what Paul wrote, and they would send it to the next group. So it would be like Billy Graham sent us, First United Methodist Church, a letter. And he addressed it to the church of Bel Air. What would we do with that letter? We would make sure the people at St. John's gets it. We would make sure the people at Faith Fellowship get it. We would make sure that the people at all the different churches that we have would make sure that they got that letter from him. Because he was speaking to the church of Bel Air, not this four-walled congregation. The church. And that's what Paul was doing. Paul was writing to the church in Rome. Neat picture, isn't it? So the letter that Paul writes to the Roman church was to encourage the Christians in Rome to trust God. Why? Persecution was coming. Right? Nero. Nero. was a bad guy, and he murdered Christians. Rome, the Colosseum, Christians in the Colosseum, this is what was happening and starting to happen when this letter from Paul came to Rome. He also wanted to help diffuse the conflict amongst the Jews and Gentile Christians in the church of Rome. I'll get to that in a minute. But there was conflict there. And he wanted to diffuse that. There was conflict between the Jewish Christian and the Gentile Christian. There was conflict between the old law and grace. 
And, God want, and, and Paul wanted to address that. But he also wanted to teach them about a new life in the Holy Spirit. In chapter 8, here's a breakdown of chapter 8. First, we are not condemned. That's point one. Two, there's an internal spiritual conflict that we deal with personally, each one of us. Third, we are adopted as heirs. We're adopted into the family of Christ. Fourth, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He prays for us on our behalf. The, in chapter 8, he even talks about that in our groanings, that the Holy Spirit speaks to God for us. Have you ever been to a place where you don't know what to pray and your heart is aching and hurts so much that you can't even think of what word to come out of your mouth? You ever been there? That's the groanings that Paul is writing about here. And when nothing can come out here, the Holy Spirit that lives in you is already interceding at the very foot of the throne of God, talking to Him about what you're facing. Amazing, isn't it? Fifth, all things work together for good. Sixth, we're secure in Christ. And seventh, we are conquerors. That's chapter 8. And we're going to be working through this over the next couple of weeks. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read that same passage out of a different translation. This is called the Passion Translation. So now the case is closed. That kind of gets your attention, doesn't it? Well, fantastic. About what? There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus. That first verse speaks volumes about the spiritual battles that many of us face. You ever felt condemned? Have you ever, quote-unquote, heard something in your head that condemns you? Condemnation, even that word in the Greek, is a sentence of verdict. It places blame. It tells you that you're wrong. We, the jury, find you guilty of first-degree larceny. Condemnation. Boom. Done. If some of you have heard that, I didn't know. Here's some of the things that we do here, though. You are to blame for the way things are going in life. All your bad choices have put you on this path, and you're never going to recover. Your past will not allow you to go any further than you are right now. Here's something else that you may have heard. There is no hope for you. Also, you've done something wrong, and you're never going to amount to anything. Some of the things that we have heard in our minds about us. Condemnation. Again, church, I ask you, have you ever heard that before? Have you ever felt condemned? That is the enemy speaking to you. 
That is the spiritual attack that we face. One of many, but that is one of them. And Paul is addressing it right here. And he's letting us know that the case is closed. There is no condemnation against those who have been put into a life union, who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, believe that He died on the cross for your sin, and you have accepted Him into your life. If that is the case for you, church, then there is no condemnation that can come against you. That's not to say you won't hear it, but it's not true. It's not true. And I think that's one of the things that we need to hear and believe in us, in our, about us, and what God has called us to be and do is that the enemy is going to do everything he can to stop us from becoming what we were created to be. And one of his first points is to let us know that there is no way that that would ever happen for you. He'll take things that you may have done and use them against you to stop you. Those same things that we've asked for forgiveness for that was sacrificed for and blood shed on the cross. Those things that we have done is covered by Jesus' blood. And the enemy and the words that he has to say in condemnation cannot pierce that. Unless you believe it. So which one do you believe? Do you believe that He has covered your sins, that He has forgiven your sins? Or do you believe the voice of the enemy in your worthlessness, which is the whole reason Jesus died? Condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That right there sets the stage. So as you're praying, as you're interacting with God, you can walk into His throne room free. Free. No chains. No bonds. Free. You see, the enemy knows that. And he doesn't want you going to the Lord about things in your life. He wants to keep you captive. But why? Why is there no condemnation? Because through Christ, because of His sacrifice, the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from sin and death. Verse 2. A whole lot in that verse, isn't it? And I'm like, what does that even mean? Because of Christ and His sacrifice. We understand that, right? Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The law of the Spirit of life. The law. We understand laws, don't we? Don't speed going to church. You'll get a ticket. I can tell you. It's true. We understand laws, don't we? We understand physical laws that man has put into place. Right? We understand, we understand the law of gravity. I push my, drop, my book, drop a book on the floor. You understand the law of gravity. You know, as a young kid, don't play on high on the monkey bars. 
I can tell you, it hurts when you land face first. There's a law of gravity. There's natural laws that God has put into place. Right? There are natural laws that we have. There's laws of man. There are natural laws. What other law would there be? Supernatural laws. Spiritual laws. They exist. If they didn't exist, God couldn't give us promises. But He does give us promises. So there are spiritual laws in place. And that's what Paul is talking about here. The law of the Spirit of life. You believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And you accept that. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. You have what? Eternal life. Right? That is the law that he's talking about here. The law of the Spirit of life. It is a spiritual law that if you accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, then you have life. And that life comes from the Holy Spirit. And that is what is deposited into our lives when we accept Christ. So whether you knew it or not, you have engaged a spiritual law, a spiritual truth, that God cannot come against Himself, and He has promised that the Spirit would be deposited into you, and so then, it is. It is. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying that because of Jesus' death on the cross, the spiritual law that God put in place of the deposit of His Holy Spirit of life is yours. It is yours. So, up to this point, there is no condemnation that has come against you. The Spirit cannot condemn you for anything. Second, you have engaged the law of the Spirit, and life eternally is now in your heart. That spiritual law of life, the last part of verse 2, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, does that mean you won't sin anymore? No. That is not what that means. But what that means is, when you do sin, that there is a way for that to be forgiven and its claws cannot stay in you. You're free from that sin and death. And what Paul's talking about there is eternal death. So, that's what you're dealing with. You're not condemned, but you are free. And it all is because of the cross. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. Now, here we are, back at the same word law again. That word law that he's talking about is Moses' law. The Old Testament law. That Old Testament law was designed so that 
we could see basically our sinfulness. Have you ever really seen the law of Moses written out? I mean, like, number one, number two. (laughs) You think Ten Commandments is tough? You ought to see this. I mean, it's pages of laws. And and we would just go, man, there is no way I can do that. That's the point. That's the point. Our flesh in all of our striving could not keep up with that law. So Jesus sent, or God sent his son Jesus as a sacrifice. The very same, the symbol of the sacrifice of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned, right? And then they knew they were naked and they had to be clothed. What happened? God killed one of his creations and gave them skins to wear. The first blood sacrifice to cover sin is the same of Jesus dying on the cross. So our, what, what the Bible calls our flesh, our human nature can't keep up with the law that was written for Moses. But Christ came, lived on the earth, was crucified on the cross, verse 4, to fulfill the righteous requirements of that law. There needed to be a sin sacrifice for salvation, for freedom, so there would be no condemnation against us. And that's who Jesus was. But Jesus did all of those things, the end of verse 4, to live according that that we would not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. The Spirit that was deposited and lives in us. That we don't go with our gut. Because you know what? Our gut is used by the enemy and it will lie to you and it will send you down the wrong path. But you live by the Spirit. And what it's talking about there as far as according to, we don't live according to our sinful nature. That word according is literally literally means to walk after, to follow after. Well, Ian, I want you to go, okay, well, I'm going to follow after this. When the Spirit is going, okay, Ian, I need you to go over here. Well, I need to walk according to that. I need to move according to that. I need to follow His lead. Not this, but this, because of that. So, oftentimes at this point, here's the question. How? I get what you're saying. I understand that the Holy Spirit lives in me. I understand that there's the enemy that's trying to condemn me or take me down the wrong path. But how do I follow this? How do I walk according to the Spirit that lives in me? How do I understand and know when when He's talking to me? Trust me, we're going to get there. Not today, unfortunately. But we're going to get there. But the point of what Paul is getting to now is even with these Christians is to go, look, there there are two directions. One leads you into a life of condemnation and sin. The other 
leads you to abundant life and purpose. But see, Paul starts all of this, and he's talking to the Romans, right? And he says, there's no condemnation among you. Well, here's, here's one of the things that we need to remember. Do you remember when I told you that Claudius didn't like the Jews and he wanted them to leave Rome for five or six years? That happened, okay? And when the Jews left, there were two types of Jews. There were those who were living according to the Old Testament law. Okay, And then there were those Jewish Christians who were living according to what Jesus had been teaching, and they accepted Jesus as their Savior. So here you have the Roman church. Right? Remember, not the four-walled building, pockets of people, in houses, in gardens. And the, but you have the Roman church, and all of a sudden the Jews had to leave. And they left, and they left their church. But who was left? The Gentiles, the Gentile Christians, who had no background or idea on how the Jewish religion worked. They didn't understand the sacrifices, they didn't understand the festivals, they didn't understand all of the things that, that would need to take place in the Jewish church, in the Jewish religion. They had no idea. So part of their church is gone. But then the Jews could come back. And they did, and the Jews came back. The Jewish Christians came back after five or six years, and they walk into their church, and they're like, okay, what's going on? Now, let's make it real today. Those of you who have been in this church for quite some time, and you know and you see how our church works, and you see the traditions, and you see the bulletin, and how things move, and the kind of music that is played, the way the pastor is, everything, okay? But now you need to leave for five or six years. And while you're gone, there's going to be other people who have never been inside this church that are going to start coming. And they're going to have ideas on how the music should be. And they're going to think about, you know what, let's change this about the flow of the service. And let's do this and let's do that. And then five or six years later, you guys can come back. And you sit in the service for the first time. And what you knew isn't anymore. What would you think? Other than I need to go to a different church. It would be different, wouldn't it? Ooh, man, hit the brakes. I'm not so sure about this. I think, um, I think we need to get back to the old. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying these are our thoughts, aren't they? Well, well what about, there was nothing wrong with, with singing from the hymn. No, the hymnal. No, 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 there's nothing wrong with that at all. Well, well we, don't, we don't pray like that. You know, where, where's, where's the incense? Where's the... Why don't you light the candles anymore? Why don't you... There's nothing wrong with that. No, there's nothing wrong with that. We just didn't know. Do you see the conflict that can happen within the church? That's what was going on in the Roman church. Where there were Gentiles who had no past 
in church at all. They were like, what is the Lord's Prayer? I've never even heard it. What does it mean? He had the prayer that He gave us? So you have these two worlds that are coming back together, yet moving towards what God intended and how He wanted to grow and teach His kids, His heirs, as we'll get into. That's the conflict. Maybe that helps give a little bit more perspective to there's no condemnation for those of you who have accepted Christ as your Savior. There's not a right way and there's not a wrong way. There's the way. There's not a right way, there's not a wrong way. But I don't like that. Sorry, it's not about you. But I wish it, again, there's that word again, I. Not about you. So Paul, from a distance, he's sending his letter into the Romans, and he's going, look, just like Jesus told his parents at 12 years old, be about your father's business. Don't get caught up in these things that are going to be distractions. Don't be condemned in what God is showing you or the Spirit is leading you to do because you want to walk according to the Spirit. You want to follow His lead. And if the Spirit wasn't with the Gentile Christians in Rome, then the church would have died, would it not? But it thrived. Even without the Jewish Christians. It grew. So Paul is looking at these two parts of the church and he's bringing them together. And he's saying, don't let the enemy come in and divide you. One of the oldest military strategies, divide and conquer. Don't let that happen. Don't let the enemy wiggle his way in. Understand that you have been called by God to grow and build His church. Make disciples, baptize. That's it. That's what you're called to do. And it's not about all the traditions. And it's not about the way that you feel like things should go. It's listening to what God has for you and following that. Now that, handle, that goes to both of the groups, but it can also come to us individually. What God has set you apart to do, what He has set you aside to do, the gifts and the talents and everything that He has poured out into your life, don't let the enemy separate you from your purpose and what God has called you to be, but what He sent His Son to die for you to give you freedom of life. Paul, the first verse, cuts the enemy's legs right out from underneath of him. There is no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ. There's none. The spiritual law of life has been given to you. Not sin and death, life. Live it. Follow it. 
understand that you've been called out. That word according, it, it talks about walking in a way, but it also means another word, progress. To progress forward. And that's the invitation. To not be condemned by what the enemy puts in your head, but to move forward in life by the power of the Spirit so that you progress further in your growth. Remember I talked at the very beginning, it's about mature. It's about being mature. And this is a way to do that, is to understand and realize and recognize the attack of the enemy when there's a condemnation that comes against you. If there's a condemnation that comes against you, there is no condemnation in Christ. Now I say it. Do you know why I say it? Because Jesus has said to the mountain that's in front of you, speak to it and it will be moved. In Proverbs, it says that words have the power of life and death, do they not? That's why I speak it. It's because I've, I believe I've been told to. And we've all seen when we have said something, good or bad, we've all seen when we have said something, the effects of it, have we not? And if that happens in the spiritual, I mean in the physical life, imagine the impact of it spiritually. Remember, we're living in two worlds here. The physical world and the spiritual world. So no condemnation, no condemnation has come against me. My Savior is my deliverer. And it seems weird. I know. It seems odd. I know. So yesterday, we're at Allen Pool in St. Clairsville, playing with the kids and stuff. Of course, I'm on a lounge chair. I'm just exhausted, falling asleep, and I just, in my heart and mind, I hear God's like, you want to talk to me? I'm like, yeah, man, I'd love to. Get on your knees. God, you, you, you see where I'm at, right? Absolutely, get on your knees. Yes, sir. Face buried in the lounge chair. Waiting for him to talk to me. You just don't care. You know what? I didn't even hear the music that was playing. I didn't hear the people around me. It was just me and him. You been there? Be bold. Own it. Because you know what? He owned you. And He defends you. And He loves you. <laughs> More than once, God has asked me, will you be a fool for me? Now, I can go through my entire teenage life and explain to you all the foolish things that I've done so that my friends would go, oh, that was awesome. I know I'm not the only one. We've all been there. 
But would you get on your knees in a public place and be a fool for him? I think we all need to answer that question. And there's more freedom to be able to do that because you know what? I'm not going to be condemned. I am not condemned. We are not condemned. He has set us aside for great and mighty things. So do not let the enemy have power over the magnificent creation that you are. Do not. He has designed you and created you for something absolutely magnificent. Each one of us. And the enemy, in his desire to steal, kill, and destroy, is looking to take that from you. And he has no right. He has no right. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Pretty powerful, isn't it? It's like a steak. It's a lot to chew on, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Here's one thing that I would, I would ask. If you have questions or thoughts, send them to me. Because you know what? I, I am learning just as much as anybody else. And if there are things that are on your heart and mind that you see or you don't understand or you have a question about, send it to me. Let's just learn, and let's learn from this. But understand and know, the enemy is, is here to condemn you, and the Spirit lives in you to give you life. Father, Lord God, I thank you for this day that you've given us and your blessings upon us. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you that um, there is confirmation in our hearts that we are free. Father, not free to go out and sin, but free to follow. And that we are not held back. Father, I thank you for revealing the lies of the enemy today. And Father, I pray for each one of us. That as we go through this week, that you would give us insight and wisdom and discernment to see what the enemy is doing and to hear and identify the voice that is looking to bring uh, destruction to us. Um, Father, but we also hear you speak life and that your spirit wells up within us and gives us direction. Father, thank you for loving each one of us, your children. And Father, I pray like I did earlier today, I just ask that our love for you deepens. Father, meet us where we are. Strengthen us. Father, forgive us. And give us the power to walk according to your Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.